You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie, and today we are joined by our new friend, Shannon Kearns. That's how you pronounce it, right? Yep, that is. All right, I didn't say the TL in the middle because um, I don't know. What does TL stand for? Uh, Timothy Lee. I've got two middle names. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. Fancy. Your parents were into it. <laughs> well, it was really, they gave me one. I chose the second one. Oh, so, cute. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, Shannon, we always start this podcast by having our guests tell us a little bit about their life story, their testimony, all those triggering words. So <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So the the super short Cliff's Notes version is that I was raised a fundamentalist evangelical in rural Pennsylvania who then grew up to become the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. Uh, so as you can imagine, it's been a complicated <laughs> journey through a lot of different traditions and uh, religious spaces. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, I grew up in in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s evangelicalism. So the height of um, true love weights and purity culture and pop culture, like before it, everything went to worship music, like when we still actually had um, Christian bands that played things that <laughs> were not just worship music, oh. right? Like that was <laughs> that was the world that I was in uh, and was deeply, deeply invested in that world and, and really loved it and also grew up without any language around sexuality or gender, um, both because I think of evangelicalism, also because like rural community, we didn't have cable, we had three television channels, right? Like that was, that was the kind of access I had to the world. Um, and I was homeschooled for seventh through 12th grade. So like the church became my entire life. And I went to Christian college, I did the mission trips, right? I did I did all of the other triggering words, right? <laughs> all of the mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's been, it was quite, it was quite a journey through, through church, church world. Yeah, I mean, I love that you mentioned that there was no real talk about sexuality because, I mean, right now that's a huge buzz thing, right? Where they say, oh, we can't expose the children to the gays because then they'll be gay. Meanwhile, those of us who grew up in fundamental spaces were just like, well, that um, didn't stop a lot of us. So <laughs> Exactly. We figured it out. Yeah. It just took us a little longer. Yeah. And like most people's stories that I've heard, they're like, I just always knew it was weird and I didn't know the words to put to it. But people just tend to know that they're not attracted to the opposite sex or that they're trans. Like it's just like an innate human feeling. And um the church likes to ignore that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that like so much of my story was a search for language to, mm. to name myself and describe myself and to be able to articulate like, why do I feel so weird? Why do I feel so weird in my body? Why do I feel so weird around my peers? Like everyone seems to have figured something else out that like I, I can't figure out for myself. Um, and had I had language earlier, I think I would have been like, oh, oh, maybe that's the thing. Um, but as it was, I just, it just left me feeling isolated and alienated, I think for longer. Yeah, I mean, and that's not even, I often really identify with this notion because I mean, I'm not trans, but I'm a woman who is not Proverbs 31 by any means. Right. And it's hard to, growing up, really know yourself if you're being inundated with these constant ideas of what a woman should be and you just don't feel that. And it's, I mean, even worse if you're just not a woman generally. Um, but I'm curious, I'm like obsessed with the fact that you're the first trans priest. That is... Wow. I'm into it. Can you tell us what that was like, like this whole process? I mean, a lot of our listeners don't really know the process of even becoming a priest in general. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I first I I need to say that I'm the first openly trans man ordained. And I and I say that very specifically because um there's a good chance that there were other people that are trans that were ordained before me um who either weren't able to be out about their identities or who didn't have language for it. Um and there were definitely trans women who who beat me to ordination. And so like I want to I want to give honor to their stories and and um and the, the ways that they broke ground for all of us. But um, so the old Catholic Church is this independent, progressive Catholic group. So it's not in communion with Rome. They ordain women, LGBTQ folks, people who are mar married, partnered, and divorced. Started in the 1500s in the Netherlands, uh, came to the U.S. about 200 years ago when some rogue bishops came over here and started ordaining people, which I kind of find delightful. Um, Hell yeah, some rebels. Yes. <laughs> so for me, I, I had always felt um, kind of a calling toward ministry and toward wanting to be in the church. Uh, obviously, that has looked like a lot of different things over the years. Um, and I started out the ordination process. So generally, one goes to seminary. So it's a three-year Master of Divinity program. Um, so full-time, three-year graduate program. So I did that. Um, and then I started the process with the United Church of Christ, which is like a shit ton of meetings and a lot of paperwork and psych profiles mm. and all of that stuff. And and I realized very quickly that the UCC wasn't actually set up to, to treat trans folks well, that the psychological profiling that they're still using automatically flags trans folks as like not fit and so oh. it depends on the person who then is reading your results to like ignore those flags but we're still using these profiles from like the 50s and i was like i am not <laughs> spending two thousand of my own dollars yeah after seminary to to be told that i'm like not mentally well because i'm trans like that's i'm not yeah. gonna do that um so anyway <laughs> i was kind of like <laughs> wrestling with that decision and the old catholics actually found me on twitter and they reached out and they were like hey we want to get the word out that we are doing trans folks can you help us and i was like i've never heard of you people uh, let's have some conversations and so started talking to uh, one of the archbishops and and really felt like it was a good fit for me that that there's there's something in this tradition that is like really really hyper focused on justice and on centering people from the margins, um, while also has a deep contemplative and spiritual practice that I find um, really beautiful. And so I started that ordination process. So you're ordained as a deacon, and then you do like a nine month trial period, and then you're ordained as a priest. And so I did that in um, 2015. Oh my gosh. So I, it's funny that we're having this conversation. I recently had a was having like this really long discussion with somebody about the difference between pastors and priests and and more in like practice versus purpose or like intention or whatever but what i was saying is that i really respect priests specifically um i mean not so much the roman ones anyways uh, <laughs> but i respect the intention or like and generally the practice of priests being these like community oriented how would I even say this? Like, not just spiritual leaders, but like, they're actually, you know, invested in the people in their congregations generally. And whereas a lot of pastors these days are not into the spiritual care, really, like they don't, yeah. they don't go visit people in the hospital, or they don't like, you know, start the meal train going or right. I don't know, like, and that's mostly in mega churches where this pastor's like, you can't even talk to the guy because he's so important. And Whereas priests, no matter how important, unless you're a fucking bishop, I guess, but you generally can talk to your priest, at least in confession. And there's yeah. like this connection that doesn't always exist in evangelical or even mainline spaces, depending on the size of the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really see like my responsibility, right, is 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 around that pastoral care piece. It's around mm -hmm. walking with people, meeting them where they are. Um providing comfort, but also challenge, right? It's it's all of those things. Um, but then also creating experiences, which sounds, I know, like a little bit evangelical megachurchy, but like, <laughs> I, but I think that like creating opportunities for people to connect with the divine and to connect with something bigger than, than themselves. Mm -hmm. We in the Catholic church would do that through the sacraments. Um, but I think that that can look a lot of different ways, right? Like it can also look like 
a Zoom call or a small group meeting or just a an opportunity for queer and trans folks to have a conversation about spirituality um, with someone who like gets it and who isn't who doesn't need to butt in and be like, wait, so what does trans mean again? Can you <laughs> can you explain gender to me? Yeah. Like, okay, what on. are pronouns? Yeah. Like why do that why does that matter? No, yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean, yeah, you took this role to the next level of helping the most marginalized and oppressed people in this current state. I mean not probably the most, but you know, one of the most. Yeah. Especially with all this legislation that's happening that's pissing me off. But how has that been as a spiritual person like a spiritual care person to kind of see this all going down yeah it's it's pretty wild right now um you know both like all of the legislation but i think that many of us who grew up in evangelicalism like we knew this was coming yeah. and so it, it feels like one of those things where we've been like screaming about this for so long and people are like no no you're just you're just being oversensitive and it's and now it's like no but like i know we told you this was coming um, so it's been frustrating in, in some ways to be like that voice crying in the wilderness and and be ignored um, while also trying to provide real spiritual care for people who are really scared, right? Really mm -hmm. scared, who often don't have access to affirming communities, or even if they do have access to affirming communities, they're often still the only one, right? Mm -hmm. They're the only trans person in their church. So it's like they don't get to be their whole selves. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of, I feel like I do a lot of spiritual care online these days because people have access to me in a different way. Um, but it's also scary, right? It's scary to be visible, even as it's also really important for me to be visible. Cause mm -hmm. I think about like, I didn't have any trans men to look up to when I was growing up and I definitely didn't have anyone in the church and so mm. like part of my ministry is to be as visible as I can for as long as I can to say if you want a space in the church it, there's space for you if you want to be a grown-up trans person like that's possible for you um but then also part of my work is if people need to leave Christianity I want to help them do that well yeah. um and and have a space that and, and find something else, right? It's like, if you, if Christianity isn't the right fit for you, let's help you find the thing that is so that mm -hmm. you can still get your spiritual needs met. I, oh my gosh. I love that last piece that you put in, because I feel like oftentimes as those of us who like deconstruct something and then rebuild something else, we forget that that rebuilding can look different for other people and may yes, not involve yes the Judeo-Christian God, because the trauma is just too deep. And I think that's especially true for people who are trans growing up in the church, because I mean, yeah. you're told your whole life that not only are you a sinner for potentially being attracted to the same sex, but you're also an abomination for going against the Lord's creation. I'm putting quotes, yeah. friends. I forgot that you can't. <laughs> These are all quoted. <laughs> um, and it's wild. I mean, I lost my train of thought, but yeah. Anyways, um, speaking of work, your work, you wrote a book. I did. Tell did. the folks all about it. Yeah, I wrote a book called In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture. And um, it's kind of a, a an interesting little book in that it's, it's part memoir. So it's like a hybrid. It's a part memoir and part retelling of 10 different stories from the Bible from a trans perspective. Mm. Um, and it's it's what I was hoping to do is both like give trans folks a way to see themselves in scripture and to say, oh, I, I can actually bring my whole self to this text and I can read my own story into scripture um, and like and to give some models of how to do that, where obviously I'm like one white trans guy, people are going to have very different stories of their own but like I wanted to provide a model so that they could say like oh I could do this work too it's like yeah absolutely um but then for cis folks to to provide some insight into what it's like to be trans but also to offer a way of reading scripture that is like good news for non-trans folks too right like I think that trans people have a lot to teach non-trans folks about bodies, about gender, about the rupturing of binaries. Um, and one of the greatest 
compliments that I've been hearing from the book is from non-trans folks who have said like, I saw myself in this story too. And it's like, yes, that's the point. Like theology from the margins isn't just for people on the margins, it's for all of us. Mm. Um, And I believe that the more we create space for people of all marginalized identities to do theology, like the better off everyone's going to be. Like my faith has been deeply shaped by feminist and womanist and black and liberation theologies from Latin America. Like that's, and my, my trans theology comes out of being influenced by all of these other voices. And like, we need all of these voices in order to really understand the divine, but also one another, right? Like that's, that's all part of, part of this work. Yeah. I mean, I remember in college when I was taking some of my theology courses, cause I went to Christian university. <laughs> um, and I had this professor who, God bless him, he and his wife were just the most feminist, the most intersectional, and which is wild. I don't know how they got hired at the school, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was teaching us from the book, uh, I think the author's name is Brian Della Torre, reading the Bible from the margins, something like that. Um, and that was the first time that somebody had told me that. I could read the Bible from my Latin perspective, from my first generation Mexican-American perspective. And I had realized, oh my God, I had only learned the white American perspective of everything I've ever read in the Bible. And because that's what my, even though I went to a Latin church growing up, like our church was still influenced by the Hill songs and the the other big churches (laughs) at the time. Um, And specifically uh, this professor, John Manning, shout out, Uh, he was teaching us about like he used the good Samaritan as an example and nobody ever taught me about the fact that the men who passed this man by were the people that were supposed to be doing the healing and the helping and the person who like you hear Samaritan you're just like I don't know what that is it's just the guy's name I don't know like you have no (laughs) idea what a fucking Samaritan is growing up and putting that all the historical and the racial tension and all this cultural aspect into it and saying like this person was not supposed to be the person to help this guy. And he went above and beyond. And I was just floored by these different perspectives that I learned from John Manning and all these other different theology professors, because nobody had ever taught me about interpretations and how everybody has their own fucking interpretation. There's no, yeah. And I was just like, oh, how did I go so long? just believing in white Christianity and never considering myself and my life. And I mean, and then the radicalization continued. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that they, that that's happens to so many people, right? Because we're taught in this, um, like what evangelicals pretend that it's this ahistorical vacuum, right. Mm -hmm. Of like, we just do theology. It's like, no, you're doing, theology from like white European folks from a very specific strain and bent that comes out of a very specific historical tradition, except you're just pretending that none of that exists. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, I definitely grew up in a in a church where I didn't know where any of the theology came from. It wasn't until later when I was reading a book about the history of fundamentalism in the US that I was like, oh, 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 that, that's where all of this came from. Like, I'm part of a tradition mm-hmm. and that tradition was not handed down from Jesus, right? Like mm-hmm. it came from somewhere. Um, And I, I, it feels so dishonest. I, I think that the beauty of like folks that are doing theology from a particular space is that we name the space that we're doing it from. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying very explicitly I'm doing theology as a white trans man from the United States. Mm-hmm. That shapes all of the theology I do. It can't help but shape the theology I do. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm also trying to be aware of how that shapes my theology in negative ways, right? Or in ways that are not helpful to everyone because I have my own privilege and I'm shaped by a cultural context that has done harm to people. Um, but we have we have to start by naming where where we're starting from, or else or else we end up with evangelicalism, where it's like, yeah, 
oh, this I'm, is just theology. It's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. And I mean, even like the most basic aspects of like a person like me from Southern California living in a predominantly Latin slash otherwise diverse location is not going to have the same <laughs> theological perspective as somebody from white town kentucky like we're just not thinking the same things uh you know like you're or even my parents like my parents are immigrants and we have vastly different theologies because i mean they kind of bought into prosperity culture which is like or prosperity theology which is insane how prosperity preachers just feed off of immigrants and it pisses me off but i mean and our perspectives have shifted right like they come from Mexico, which is still very sexist and still very um, traditional, we'll say. And I come to America and I'm like, oh, I don't have to be something that I'm not. I don't have to be Proverbs 31 just because you fucking tell me to be. I can have a career. Uh, well, in the church now. <laughs> now I work <laughs> at the church. What a career. <laughs> I can I can have a voice. I can podcast and talk to men um, without it being weird. I can have male friends without any sexual connotation. Like, what is this? And my parents have no concept of any of that, right? Like, and I, I can't fault them for it. I can challenge them, but I think it's important to consider all the different aspects of humanity and our lives before we judge. Yeah, I mean, I'll judge you. Never mind. Who am I kidding? <laughs> you fucking judge everybody. <laughs> but I try to judge to work, you know, to, to assess. I try to assess. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But um, how has your congregation, like, what, if, what do you see in your congregation that is different from others? Yeah, I mean, so so I'm not currently serving in a in a congregational setting. Um, and well, your congregation that's, is, you know. yes, yeah, and the, but that's really intentional, right? Like I I have found that um, I've been able to do better work by being able to like go in almost as a consultant or as a ah. guest preacher because then I can say things that maybe the pastor who has to be there every week and who relies on that congregation for healthcare can't say. So I can come in and be like, oh hey, let's like talk about how to talk about, you know, trans stuff in, in scripture. Um, I love what I am seeing though, is that so many congregations are desperately hungry for more than they're currently being given. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is a fear and we could talk, but like the the way that the clergy system and the pastoral system is set up is like not designed to, uh, you know, honor risk taking. Mm. So like we can talk about all of the injustices inherent in that. And also over and over again, I will talk with people and they'll say, why have I never been taught this in why have I never heard this before? Why has no one ever said this in a sermon to me? Why didn't anyone ever teach me how to read the Bible? And I mm. think that we are not giving our congregants, our communities enough credit for being willing and able and desiring of wrestling with the hard things. Like mm. the the amount of people that I'm seeing who are just like so hungry for actual tools on how to read the Bible, actual examples of like, what does it mean to do my faith in public, in my community, in my town? How do I connect my faith to my justice work? Like I I'm doing all of this stuff over here. uh, And I think, I think my faith has something to say to that, but like, I don't know how to put those things together. And it's like, those are the things that people are really hungry for. Um, And so I'm just like, I'm trying to provide as much as I can in the way of tools and connections. Uh, but I'm, I, if, if clergy are listening, like, I think that your people are hungrier um, than we often give them credit for. And and we're also allowing too many, like, small pockets of crabby people to control our mm-hmm. congregations. And I think we have to be willing to say goodbye to some folks and say, Listen, if you're going to stay, you are always welcome to stay here. But like, this is the value of 
values that we hold as a community. And if those are not the values that you wish to hold, there are other places you can Mm. find that will meet you where you are and and leave you there. But like, that ain't, that ain't my calling. Yeah. Generally those people are not the ones that we're worried about too much. (laughs) Yeah. I find that based on this conversation, I've thought, I have this thought that we often focus too much on appealing to the lowest common denominator, which when you hear a pastor say that everybody, they're talking about stupid people. They're like, you're like, they're talking about people that they think are too dumb to wrestle with these concepts. Um, But I also find that terrible. Like, I have the privilege of being a person who is inquisitive, is curious, is bitchy. So I'll look into every single fucking thing to prove you wrong. Like that. <laughs> and most pastors are like that, right? Like they, they yeah. did the work. They're interested in theology. They went to school, they blah, 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 blah. And maybe people don't have the insatiable curiosity that we have, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to know. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're not willing to have the conversation. They just don't know. They just don't know the conversation topic, you know, and right, right. I think, yeah, like you're saying, uh, anybody, any clergy that's listening, maybe we should start thinking about the people who w- you could pique their curiosity, even if they're not coming to you with these huge questions, you know? Yeah. When I think, I, I think the other thing that I'm seeing is that if you don't give them answers, they're going to go looking somewhere else. And where what they're going to find is fundamentalism because yeah, it's the like, easiest thing to go, find. It, yeah, if you go to Barnes and Noble, the entire Christian book section primarily is evangelical mm-hmm. fundamentalist books. If you Google, like, what does the Bible say about X Y Z, you're going to get mm-hmm. all of these right wing websites that are going to be beautiful and flashy and are not going to say that they're Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. but they are. And so then I, I think that our folks are are looking for answers and they're finding it in places that are not, not being honest, but they don't have the tools to like look at a website and say, oh, I think that this actually is created by someone that I can't trust, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I, and I think that part of our work has to also be giving people the tools to say, Listen, if you pick up that book and it's published by Zondervan, <laughs> you probably shouldn't buy it, yeah. right? Like it's or or if you do buy it and you want to read it, like you have to have a healthy dose of skepticism mm-hmm. because Zondervan is only publishing things that uh, uh, you know that go down the, this list of mm-hmm. of their requirements and it's not it's not going to be progressive. It's not going to be feminist. It's not going to be trans or queer inclusive. Yeah. Did you have a publisher for your book? Yes, I was with Erdman's, um, which is actually the the oldest Christian publisher, uh, which is fascinating. It it was a really fascinating journey. They they primarily have been an academic publisher Mm -hmm. um, and have published like a wide range of of people. So their audience was um, quite unhappy that they published. Yes, <laughs> um, Hell yeah. which was which was a which was a journey. Um, but I, but I was really proud of them for for taking the stand and for for taking a step into I think what was unknown for them of of what the response was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually I'm glad I asked. That's fascinating. That is so badass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too rebellious for my own good. I'm just like, yeah, fuck them. Um, sorry, friends. I recommend Lake Drive Books. Those are good books. I have a bunch yeah. of friends who have published with them. They're cool. They're inherently progressive, I believe. Yeah. And Broadleaf, too. Broadleaf. Oh, is, Broadleaf. Uh, mm-hmm. Broadleaf is going to publish my second book, and um, <gasps> they're right. publishing really, really great stuff. That's right. Oh, my gosh. How fun. Um, so how does the – this is my own question. How does the Catholic – church that you're a part of differ from Rome I mean apart from the obvious but like what are the tenants that are kind of different yeah so like if you were to go to a service it's actually going to look quite similar to a Roman church um when I do mass though I make sure that I um use inclusive language although we will still I I'm kind of I'm, I'm this hybrid of like if it's 
if it's something like the Lord's Prayer or a creed, we still use the the traditional language. Mm -hmm. But anything else, I use inclusive language both for God and for people. Um, the the theology, it really kind of depends on which Catholic group you're in. Some of them are like pretty much party line with Rome, except for around sexuality and women and obviously papal infability and <laughs> all of those things. Like we consider the Pope as a religious leader, but not as <laughs> the religious leader or our religious leader. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think for me, it's like, I... I hold to an open communion. Anyone, it's not my table, it's God's table. So if mm. you want access to the sacraments, they are there for you. Um, a, a sense of confession is, it's not a mandatory thing for us. So if you want confession, we offer it, but you don't have to. And there aren't things like, if you don't go to mass a certain number of times <laughs> or like on high obligation days, then you're... You're out like uh, we don't. Is that real? In the Roman Church, oh wow! There's like I didn't all know of that. these rules around. There are certain feast days that are required, and you're supposed yeah. to go every Sunday, right? It's all of all of these different things. Wow! In Mexico, people do Catholicism real different. <laughs> Very <laughs> casual. <laughs> it's probably adjusted for that. Um, this is actually really interesting. So, I interviewed Father Anne. Do you know Father Anne? I don't, I don't think I do. Uh, she's great. She is looking for ordination in the Catholic, Roman Catholic church. She's super cool, great online presence. But I had talked to her and then a few months later I had gone to Italy and my friend and I, who I went with, we were very like historical and art and old things. Um, so obviously she wanted to go to the Vatican and I was very um, apprehensive <laughs> because I just know too much history. I'm a history nerd. I've read all about the fucking Catholic Church. And I'm just like, I don't wanna, but I went. Um, and she thought that it was hilarious how angry I was walking through the Vatican. It was just like my righteous indignation was like, how dare they? And it was exacerbated by the fact that they had like a Mexico thing going on and like the gift shop I guess they had like highlighting Mexican Catholicism crafts I don't know whatever point is there's huge Mexico signs everywhere and I was like my people are starving they are in need and there's gold everywhere yeah. and then you walk through the art and it's like you don't fucking believe in Jupiter why is Jupiter here like what is this <laughs> so um what are what is your opinion on the Vatican? <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I went a couple of years ago because I'm like I too I too am a nerd and uh, you know, there's both like it's both like beautiful, mm -hmm. right? Art, architecture, incredible, and also all of the things you're saying, like deeply upsetting. It I couldn't help but walk through even the Vatican museums and be like, y'all stole this stuff. Yeah. Like, this is you conquered people mm -hmm. and then took their art like that it, it was deeply it was deeply um concerning and upsetting and i think that you're right like to to be honoring a a country and a people that is starving while you have the resources to do something about that is really terrible um and i and i think that like that I don't know that inherent tension is is something that I have about the church a lot of like what is the responsibility how do we actually work against the systems to to create justice how do we provide comfort while also flipping tables right like it's mm. it's all of it like it's it, and it has to be all of it um and I don't think I don't think the Roman church has done a very good job of mm. it while also there are like these beautiful examples, even in Roman Catholicism, mm -hmm. like I've been deeply impacted by like Dorothy Day, who started the mm -hmm. Catholic worker movement and Philip and Daniel Berrigan, who spent most of their careers and lives in prison for protesting war and 
and nuclear armament and like Mm -hmm. so we have these people that are in the system should they stay should they go some of them I, i don't know right like those are really complicated questions Right, and that's not even unique to Catholicism, right? Because I mean, right, for sure. And oh, in evangelicalism, sure, you find the stray cool person that's like great and amazing and doing good work. But why is it that's the minority of both of these? Like, why yes. are we such a minor blip on the radar of religion when we should be the biggest faction trying to make the world a better place? And it's just, yeah. Anyway. And I think I think the thing that is important to name in both evangelicalism and Roman Catholicism is if if you are one of the voices that is advocating for change and trying to do it from within inside the system, stop giving them your money mm-hmm. because they are using your money mm-hmm. to fund horrific things around the world. Like you you cannot give them your money and pretend that you are helping. Like mm-hmm. you, 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 you have to cut off that funding. Yep. So like, if you are still going to an evangelical church and you were like, I am going to get them to be affirming from the inside, you better not be putting a single penny in that Amen. offering plate. Like Amen. you cannot, that can't be part of how you do the work. Yeah. I'm generally a person that's like, if your church is not affirming, you got to get out. Like there's no saving yes. them. But yes. I like this caveat. I like the, but if you have to stay, don't give them your fucking money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think, I I do think that like often one of the things that we tell folks, especially queer and trans folks who are still not ready to leave whatever church they're in and who are like, I I really do think that I can make a change. You know, the big thing that we tell folks is that you can't actually get your spiritual needs met in the Mm -hmm. same place that you're fighting. So like, if you're going to stay in that church and work for change, you have to have another spiritual community somewhere else mm-hmm. that is actually meeting your needs where you don't have to fight like that you can't you can't fight and get your needs met in the same space um and i would say then give that other spiritual community your money not the one mm-hmm. that you're fighting yeah and that doesn't even have to be like another church like you don't have to have two churches at once yeah, you can find yeah, sure. like different i mean there's so many groups right like even so many podcasts yeah. have like discord channels that people have yeah. found deep spirituality in um i'm not gonna start one because i don't know how to i don't know how to discord i'm an old lady when it comes to that so i'm just like i will lead you to other people so <laughs> don't talk to me but yeah i'd like that as yeah because people oh, i remember trying to do that trying to change this southern baptist church in southern california so like you're probably real fucking southern baptist if you're in southern california and it's just not Oh my gosh, speaking of this, I need your opinion as a spiritual care person. So the Southern Baptist Church in Southern California that I used to go to, um, I met a friend there and we've stayed friends forever. And they have a new pastor whom my pastor was like, oh, I know that guy, he's an asshole. And immediately I was like, <laughs> oh shit, how does a Methodist pastor know that this Southern Baptist pastor is an <laughs> asshole? Damn. Um, anyways, point is, my friend's family still goes to this church and this pastor was invited to a family vacation because the sister is like best friends with this fucking pastor and he spent the whole time harassing everybody that was there like telling the catholic grandma that catholics are like devil worshipers and like engaging the dad and like these conversations and the dad's not religious and he's like leave me alone and then so my friend is gay and trans um non-binary and did not was avoiding this guy it doesn't want to talk to him like he's an asshole i don't want to talk to you so i'm just gonna try to make the best of this homie actively pursues talking to this person and says like oh i don't know i know that you don't want to talk to me or this person doesn't want to talk to me so and like making things so awkward what is your opinion on pastors that do this oh i mean that's that's i mean it's just like it's a dick move as a human (laughs) but then it's like (laughs) extra awful because you are in a position of authority and power Mm -hmm. uh whether whether you're in this place or not like you carry that inherently because of your position Mm -hmm. like you just you can't be harassing people um Mm -hmm. I, i think that like one of the things that 
that I know for myself as someone who is clergy is that I have to hold myself to a higher standard. And we can talk about whether that's fair or not, like doesn't matter because I'm walking into a place where I have a certain amount of privilege and power because of my title. Um, so I have to be above reproach. And that mm-hmm. that is both like above reproach in my dealings with like young people and vulnerable people, but also like, I don't know. I just, I don't want to be the person that's known as like the asshole. Like, I that's know. Just, I don't, and, and who, how has that ever been helpful? Right? Mm-hmm. Like I just think about, I, I think about like the ways that I was taught to try to convert people <laughs> as a kid. And it's like, did any of that ever work? Did that ever stick for someone? <laughs> like, I don't, I did a lot of clowning and miming and like church drama. And I'm like, did oh anyone God. ever get brought to Jesus by a clown? Like, I just don't think so. Maybe we should not have done this, which is side note <laughs> from the guy who's being an asshole on the vacation. But yeah. right, like, I just think, I, I just think like, what in what world is that helpful? Right. And good. Um, and I, I think that also brings up something that that people end up with a lot. Not this guy, obviously, but like they're in in a lot of unaffirming churches. There's this kind of like quiet, gentle homophobia Mm. from people who are or people who like won't give you a straight answer. Right. They'll be like, oh, everyone is welcome here. We love all people. And then you ask a direct question and they're like, we love all people. No, no, that is not that is that is not what I I asked what your policy was. Um, so I also think like, if you go to, a, a church, a pastor, someone on staff at a church and you ask a direct question and they give you anything other than a direct answer, run. Mm-hmm. Like if they ask you out for coffee, say no. Like that is your answer. Your, your answer is they don't affirm queer people mm-hmm. in particular, but yeah. Yeah. This came up at work. So I run a church. Um, I help run a church. I'm trying to be more humble. I help run a church. <laughs> <laughs> and I got an email from this like coffee shop that was like lion and lamb roasters or something like that something and I was immediately yeah. like oh my god like and they were like trying to partner with us I mean we already have a coffee roaster so we didn't like whatever but I was like I'm gonna play this fucking game and so I asked specifically I was like I try or like we as a church and as a community try to only partner with people and religious organizations that are, you know, affirming, like point blank. And I asked the question, I mean, I was more professional. Like I was like all nice and academic about it. And they came back with a bullshit answer. And it's like, we welcome all people. And I was like, that's not what I fucking asked. If you think that gay people are going to hell, your coffee is not going to be in my fucking church, period. Like this is not, I'm not supporting you financially and encouraging people to go to your coffee shop if they're not safe in your yeah. coffee shop like yeah your coffee is cursed as far as i'm concerned yes <laughs> yeah and and i think that we are at we are we are beyond a place where uh, uh an equivocal answer is enough mm-hmm. right like if you can't say exactly what i'm allowed to do in your church how i'm welcome what what i show up with right like if i bring a partner if we have kids like what are we what are our kids going to be taught here uh will you marry us can someone serve on the deacon board or be ordained right like if you can't Mm -hmm. answer those questions or you won't answer those questions like not only are you being dishonest but you're doing a disservice to Mm -hmm. anyone who comes to you Um, and i think that like yes and i think that queer and trans folks like we have to it's not fair that this is on us but like it's just the name of the game now like we have to be willing to ask those questions mm-hmm. and to walk away mm-hmm. and to say i'm not i'm no longer going to be in a place that doesn't fully affirm my humanity fully affirm my relationships um fully allow me to show up as all of, of who i am mm-hmm. and if you don't like this isn't i'm not going to come here yeah, like I remember this concept was always so hard for me, especially in familial settings, right? Because um, I have a cousin who's gay um, in Mexico, and he came out a long time ago, um, back when it was still, I mean, it's still hard in Mexico, but it was even harder. And my 
So this is on my mom's side. My mom's family hates it. They're very Calvinist. How do you get a Calvinist as Mexico is how, what I want to fucking know. <laughs> like, you think that you're preordained to go to heaven? Like, I don't fucking think so, homie. <laughs> but he, like, stopped showing up. Like, I hardly ever saw him when I was a kid because he just didn't come to Christmas or he wasn't, like, involved in the family stuff. And he would only show up, like, Christmas Eve for the Christmas Eve party with the extended family that wasn't religious, so it was more comfortable. And I always wondered that. And it wasn't until I went to his wedding that it really like hit me like a ton of bricks emotionally. Intellectually, I got it, but emotionally, because out of all the family, luckily both of his parents were there and his brother. But then other than that, it was another cousin and it was me and my husband and that was it. Like that was the only family that went to this large extravagant wedding and it was deemed offensive to even be invited to this wedding. So they weren't even invited, mm. but then they were still offended because they weren't invited. And it was like this whole, like, <laughs> I was so pissed off. And that's when I was like, oh yeah, we're not, we're not doing this. And then once I like accepted my own queerness, I was like, I'm not having these conversations either. Like, I'm yeah. not going to debate with you about whether being gay is going to send you to hell. I don't believe in hell anyway. So I'm not having this conversation. Like yeah. we're not. And I think that is such a divine spiritual point in your life to say my worth is inherent. I don't have to argue my worth with you. I don't yes. have to convince you otherwise. Like yes. may the Lord convict your heart. Cause that is not my fucking job anymore. Like I'm yes. over it. Yes. Yeah, and I think that so often we feel like we have to argue on their terms. Mm. And like it's just not helpful. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not good for us and also it's not going to ever change their mind. And the the way that they have set up the argument it, you can't win anyway, mm-hmm. right? Cuz you're saying like you're going to try we argue about how well, I don't believe in hell. So like yeah. what what how, we don't even have a starting point, yeah. right? And I think that that's uh, that's often I refuse to have conversations about you know the so-called clobber passages because I'm like we can't even have a conversation about these seven passages because we have to talk about how we read the Bible mm-hmm. as a whole. And like you're not ready for that conversation, yeah. so like we can't even go there. So what good is this? Like this is just going to be exhausting and yeah. detrimental to my spirit. Like I'm not going to do that anymore. And if you want to learn, like there are books, mm-hmm. there are books that are available to you. We are now living in the world of information. Mm-hmm. Happy like, to send you, you a can list. Access that. <laughs> exactly. Happy to send you a list. Yeah, uh, yeah that's funny. Um, my recommendation for anybody listening is to just make everything a joke. I have found that to be <laughs> so deeply satisfying. Like if somebody's like, oh my gosh, gay people. I was like, are you scared of gay people? Are you scared? <laughs> I just make everything into a joke and it's oh it's been the light of my life because then it's like the humor like because they're being ridiculous right like you're being yeah. absurd so i'm just gonna meet your absurdity with more absurdity and we're gonna have a fucking party or at least yeah. I am. It's yeah blast. i think that's 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 brilliant because i i think the other thing in evangelicalism is that they are unprepared to meet queer joy Mm. because they don't understand how deeply joyful we are and they expect us to come with like heads hung low and sad and angry and when we come and we're like no like life is fucking awesome i have all of this chosen family Mm. i have so much joy i'm totally at peace it just like short circuits their brain yeah. like they can't handle it and i think that same thing like when you meet them with a joke when you meet them with joy they're just like what wait what mm-hmm. and it it forces a a different kind of confrontation and reckoning in their lives because they're they're not used to it and yep. it's like yeah what we need to do is just show up with more and more joy yep yeah they have no concept like i remember having this argument with my very evangelical dad because i went no contact with my mom and he's having a hard time with it um, even though all I said was she just has to fucking apologize and then she could talk to me, but she won't do it. So it <laughs> sounds like a problem. Um, and I'm not like stressed about it, but my dad's like, I'm just worried. Like we're fully like arguing and yelling like the Latins do. And he's like, I just feel like you're going to end up alone if you abandon your family. And I was like instantly enraged because everybody who knows me is like, what makes you fucking think that I'm alone? 
first of all, I'm married, so I'm obviously not alone. I have dogs. I'm not alone. <laughs> and secondly, like, you've seen the friendships that I have. You were at my wedding. You've seen the deep love and admiration and, like, connection that I have to all of my friends who are my family. And you're going to say that just because we're not blood related that I'm going to die alone? I'm never going to be alone. Like, oh, and that's yeah. part of, like, what I feel like Christianity, because they're so family oriented, right? They don't get that. Like, yeah. we're never going to be alone. We can go yeah. to a gay retirement home and have a fucking ball. Like, there's no alone here. The joy is so incomprehensible to them. Yeah. Yeah. And the the ways that we form relationships and community and connections that are not tied to, you know, nuclear family, mm. picket fence, whatever it is just so inconceivable um mm -hmm. and, and but it's also like the strength and the beauty and the resilience of our community that we can form those deep connections and relationships wherever we go and with people who aren't blood related but who in some ways become even deeper yeah. than blood family often yeah because i mean we've been surrounded by unconditional like conditional love our whole yes. lives yep. that now we're only concerned with unconditional love that's all we want and yep. that's all we're searching for especially those of us who are still in some level of faith right like we yep. crave that love that was never given to us and that's all we're gonna settle for like we're not gonna settle for anything less yeah yeah i love this i love this note to end on we don't settle for less the gays are unconditionally loved ah yes yes amen <laughs> Uh, well, anyways, why don't you plug away at all the things that you have going on? Yeah, so if you want to find me, I am at Shannon TL Kearns on all of the social medias. Uh, Instagram is the one where I like do my best work. I am on TikTok, but as an elder millennial, I yeah, struggle. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm there, but like not <laughs> much. Um, I've got a website, and then also the work at queertheology.com. Uh, we've got some great stuff coming out we are in our 10th anniversary year and so we're like celebrating and rolling out some new ways to connect and so get connected with us at queertheology.com oh my gosh amazing friends if you need reminders they will be somewhere um and in, on instagram i too am an instagram person i like will Love record a reel on instagram and they're not like they're not that good they're just kind of like anyways i get it i am the tiktok is too hard i can't do it Listen, I don't I don't know how people are like doing cuts and appearing in different outfits and dances. Yeah! Like I am I am too old and too tired mm -mm. for any of that. One day maybe I'll have enough money to hire some little kid to do that for me. Okay, because <laughs> yes. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Anyways, uh friends, you can find us at Speaking in Church on Instagram. You can find me at Josie Takes the World. Uh we have a tip jar if you like the podcast. Not necessary, but you know those of us who are doing this work don't get paid very much so go ahead and do that um other than that i think that's it oh we have merch we have cute merch go look at my merch it's so cute i try to make it not podcast centric because i'm i'm the type of bitch that i'm not gonna have like a podcast logo on my i'm but i'll have a cute graphic saying something witty you know what i'm saying so that's what i got going on um okay friends as always stay woke or get woke or else Bye. This has been an irreverent media podcast.